Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, a program providing help and information for our caregivers who are vital to the health and welfare of so many people in our community. You can hear Caregiver SOS on air Sundays at 6 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you very much and welcome to Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron along with our co-host, Carol Zernio, a nationally known gerontologist, serves as executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation, and she's chairman of the board of the National Council on Aging. And we're delighted to come to you every week with topics, issues, and programs that deal with the variety of stuff that caregivers and their families face. Every week we do this. Julie Sager-Nurenberg will be joining us in just a few minutes right here on Caregiver SOS On Air. Her book, Daddy, This Is It, Being With My Dying Dad, has carved out for her a specialty in helping to put together the stories of end of life. And we look forward to talking to her. Speaking of caregiving, you've got the inside scoop on the future of caregiving and how bright or not it is. And, and what it looks like. So one of my favorite publications is Next Avenue, which is um, a, a, a site that is run by the PBS, the Public Broadcasting System, and nextavenue.org. If you listen to our show and you go to their site, you'll see we borrow heavily uh, from a lot of the information that they provide. But always crediting. Always crediting, yes. always crediting, yes. Uh, and it, they're celebrating their fifth anniversary, which I can hardly believe. Really? I was at a conference when they announced the launch of Next Avenue. Uh, and so here we are five years later. And so part of what they're doing is, in addition to looking back at this, their fifth anniversary, is they're looking ahead five years, ten years. And since caregiving is one of the large areas that they cover, they talk to Folks like Ken Dykewald, who is, you know, he's the guy that got me in the business of aging. You know, he's always been visionary in terms of looking at the future. Some folks from the National Institutes of Health, from uh, Virginia Tech, and, and talking about caregiving. And they said, so, okay, five years from now, how is caregiving going to change? And so, you know, on, on the bad news side, um, we, we're going to have a lot more older people who have less family members or less family members available in their immediate area to provide caregiving. And so something's got to give in terms of the numbers of paraprofessionals that we have to help out with caregiving, um, probably more technology around caregiving. You know, we love to talk about some of the new technologies that robots. are coming out. Robots. Robots are in here. Um, and they're saying that probably in the future, and this is on the good news side, is if, you know if we have robots involved, they're going to do some of the things like heavy lifting. So paid professionals and family members, we're not going to throw our backs out trying to turn people in bed or, or lift them or transfer them. We're going to have help for that. And I think that's, you know, if I'm going to have a robot in the house, I definitely want to put that on his to-do list. Would you name your robot? Of course I would name my robot, wouldn't you? I would. What would you name it? Do you have a name picked out? Igor. <laughs> Igor. <laughs> okay, I haven't gotten that far. I'm going to have to. I might have to let you, you know, my, my favorite movie, Frank and Robot. I might have to call my robot Frank just, uh, you know, to <laughs> commiserate <laughs> with that. Um, what I love when they were talking about technology was they were saying our technology is going to be smarter in the sense, you know, like right now we have those smart houses that will track your loved one's movements in the house. So it doesn't matter where they go. They went in and out of the bedroom. They went in and out of the bathroom. They went in and out of the kitchen. They opened the refrigerator this many times, blah, 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 blah. And it just churns out reams of data 
Well, okay, so Ron, what a, which of that data should you be looking at? None of it, unless it's the middle of the night. <laughs> well, I mean, and that's it. And so we're going to be smarter about what, what we're collecting, why we're collecting, and what do we do with it once we know it. It's like my iPhone tells me where my car is parked. And when I get home, it says, with a little dot on a map, <laughs> you're parked here. Well, it's my garage. I know it's there. <laughs> well, my, my phone has started, suddenly started telling me how long it's going to take me to get home. Exactly. Even when I'm not going home. But if I was going <laughs> home, I would know that I would be home in 10 minutes. But unfortunately, I'm going to a meeting. And so thank you, phone. I didn't tell you I was going home. How long is it going to take me to get to where I'm really going? So, um, th- you know, we're going to have more apps and more online tools and, and more smart house technology that will hopefully help us our loved ones, uh, to live in our homes longer, but it's not going to be just, you know, data and technology for technology's sake because if it's technology, you know, it's kind of like um, it, it, there's not such thing as a bad video game if you ask a lot of teenagers, right. you know. There's better ones than others, but it's just all great stuff. You know, we're going to be a little bit more discriminating in terms of the technology we use. And when it comes to, as we say, the future of caregiving, not enough caregivers, not enough support. Uh, are we going to get to a point where we professionalize caregiving? So caregivers get paid what those positions are truly worth? Well, I think that's interesting because this particular blog doesn't speak to the policies around caregiving. Um, and that's probably a really important omission uh, in terms of what's got to change to make caregiving more palatable, flexible work schedules, uh, credits, uh, it doesn't talk about that. So good for you, Ron. You've already found the hole. Well, look how we underpay home health care workers. Oh, absolutely, yes. They, I mean, that whole paraprofessional workforce, you know, our care force, as um, Ai-jin Poo from Caring Across Generations talks about, uh, you know, we've got a lot of work to do uh, uh, with that. You know, w- thinking about our guest that's coming up and talking about death, um, and a good death and sitting with death. Um, Julie Sager Nirenberg. Yes, and and Julie has has written about death. You know, this is you know Ken Dykwald was talking about how um, a good death is going to take priority over prolonging life. And, you know, some would say that's already happening. So right now we've got lifespan and we have health span. We've increased the lifespan. But we've added more years to life, not necessarily more life to the years. You you can live a lot longer, but not necessarily in good health. And so this idea of of um, throwing all this medical treatment, regardless, uh, you know, we don't have these conversations in the medical world often about how a person wants to live, and, and we know that's palliative care. So a good death is going to take a priority over that, um, and. You know, our, the care that we provide is going to be ta- more tailored. You know, we, we've talked about nutraceuticals, which is nutrition and pharmacy and, you know, all the things we know about genes. So probably in the future, I'm going to know, Ron, if, you know, you're a guy who's going to respond to this particular drug because I've done some gene mapping, you know, knowing right. more about your history. And so I might, we can recommend treatments and care plans based that are tailored really to your biology which is fascinating. Well, they're moving slowly in that direction in cancer treatments now. That's right. And so we're, you know, 10 years from now, um, medicine and nutrition uh, could look very different as well as exercise regimens as opposed to just go out there and get some exercise. They're going to, you know, maybe we need more of that now, pinpointing exactly the kinds of exercise that you need for your particular biology and, and 
problems. Couldn't delegate that to a robot, huh? Uh, no, you know, I didn't see that on the robot list that they get to exercise for you. Well, we have to look at that one, right? <laughs> you know, um, I'm hoping for driverless cars. That's number one I on know my you list. Are. Not everyone is in agreement with that, and and it would be interesting. You know, maybe we should invite somebody with driverless car technology to on the show sometime because I would love to explore the pros and the cons of the driverless cars. I personally think it's a game changer. Well, my the, late aunt Reva could have used that, and and I know I'm going to need it. I, you know, I. I I'm a, an okay driver. I don't like to drive at night. Um, statistically, women stop driving too soon uh, because we get nervous. We don't want to hurt anybody. And so, you know, we give up driving. And I don't like to drive at night. So I'm hoping so, so that somebody... Women, women will give up driving sooner than Sooner. Men. And, you know, this is very stereotypical. But it, as a generalization, right. women give it up too soon and men stay driving too long. Right. That was my dad. Yeah. yeah, so just not and, – and we understand that. I mean, it's terrible that we don't have a good alternative, which is why I like the driverless cars. Well, in just a minute, we're going to talk with uh, Julie Sager-Nirenberg. Daddy, this is it. Being with my dying dad talks about the stories of dying, and that will be fascinating. Well, you know, and as as we look to the the future, not the – not the far end future we're going to be discussing, uh, but I loved what Ken Dykewald was talking about. You know the future and technology, and we think about we think of the Jetsons, right, and their little bubble car. And he said, you know, really, it's still about family. What we loved about the Jetsons wasn't necessarily although the, ro- the robot was pretty. Rosie the robot was pretty cute. Um, we loved the technology, but we really liked that family, and they were together in that car. And so the human dynamics in the family in family caregiving, you know, that part may not change, and, and we. Just have to remember it really is about people that's why he's ken dykewald and i'm not because that's a great observation it's oh, true it, absolutely because a lot of us glommed onto the flying cars right but it's not about the cars it's about the people wow i was telling my kids about gerald mcboing boing the other day a cartoon that you may or may not remember i don't gerald mcboing boing he couldn't talk words he talked in sounds Wow, he sounds really annoying. Well, he was. <laughs> and on YouTube, I found <laughs> Gerald McBoing Boing. Okay, now I'm going to have to go look it up. So we're going to have driverless car right. technology on the show, and, I, and all of us have to go look up Gerald McBoing Boing. Gerald McBoing Boing. All right. Yeah. I shouldn't have played it for my kids because immediately they, of course, began mimicking all those <laughs> See, annoying I, sounds. Exactly what I meant. Yes, yeah, big exactly. mistake. <laughs> now, before we run out of time here in just a minute, when you look at caregiving, it's been haphazard in terms of who provides caregiving, no training, no background. Many people fall into it when they get the call that grandma's in the ICU. Well, that's true. And so, you know, another thing that hasn't been mentioned in this blog is is this whole idea of preparation for caregiving and, and what's provided to caregivers. And the technology isn't necessarily going to change that either. And so policy issues, education, um, acceptability of caregiving, all of that, the more we communicate, the more all of us get on the same page, the better it will be and the better we can plan for that future. And as you think about that, I know WellMed, for example, and a lot of other providers are putting great emphasis on having folks complete an advanced directive. Well, and that it, that's everybody. I mean, that's literally everybody, everybody listening to this show. And I actually am going down tomorrow to meet with an attorney um, and have her draw up our advanced directives oh, cool. for my husband and I because I've been putting it off. Um, but, you know, most of the people, when things go badly, you know, it's not the people who have lived a long life and die at the end of a very long life uh, necessarily. Those advanced directives, all those big court cases you've ever heard of involved young people. 
Um, and so there are accidents. Right. Things do happen. And so it's important for everyone to have an advanced directive, and especially those of us who have kids that rely on us. Um, you know, you, you need to have somebody needs to help make those health care decisions. You're like the shoemaker whose kids never have shoes. That's right. So, so advanced directives, it's, it's really important. It's not expensive there. You know, you can uh, get those drawn up fairly inexpensively, and it's worthwhile to go through that exercise as our next guest, um, Julie Sager Nurem. I'm sorry, I always mispronounce her last name. Nuremberg. Nuremberg. Julie Sager Nuremberg will tell us, you know, uh, planning for a good death involves also advanced planning. Coming up next, right here on Caregiver SOS On Air, I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel, and uh, we look forward to talking with Julie at 9.30 a.m. The Answer. It's hard to believe, but this all began in the year 2010. Has it really been that long that we've Dr. been together? Dr. Robin Eikhoff, Ron Aaron, WellMed Radio. What a terrific ride it's been. And since then, and continuing, we have talked about everything. We've talked about medical issues, we've talked about legal issues, end-of-life issues, and the list goes on. You name a disease, and we've covered it, but with answers for people who have it, aimed primarily at seniors and their loved ones. Seniors and caregivers and grandchildren and on and on. So why do you like doing radio? Well, I love spending time with you, Ron. Oh, thank you. That's one of my favorite parts. Well, I appreciate it. But that. I like educating, and I like educating patients and family members. There's so many things that we can do with this outreach. So listen to WellMed Radio. And get healthy. Ron Aaron, Dr. Robin Eikoff. We come to you Sunday afternoons at 5 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Well, we are having such a great time talking about items in the news like the future of caregiving. And it's a chance now to turn to a very special guest who we promised would be coming on. Julie Sager Nirenberg joins us on our Caregiver SOS on-air hotline. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. And, Julie, thank you for joining us. Appreciate it. And uh, the stories that uh, I found on the Internet uh, talking about uh, your relationship with your dad and uh, talking about my dad's death, a time full of love, full of life, very powerful. It's tough to read that and not just cry your eyes out. <laughs> yes, I'm sorry. I, I even uh, tear up sometimes when I'm... Uh when I'm reading some of the things that, that are out there, too, Ron, it's, it's uh, in spite of the fact that five years have passed, um, it's, still, it's still quite, uh, you know, a time that's full of great feeling and meaningfulness. So, well, yeah. it sounds like your father was a remarkable person who was very much in touch with what was going on and with himself and his family. That's very true. We were all very fortunate in that he was so with it uh, almost right up to the very end. Uh, in fact, some of the time that we thought he, he wasn't as, as uh, present, I believe that he possibly was. He just couldn't express that. Um, but the, but uh, the way that, that every minute played out in his last few days, I, I do believe that he, he was very, very aware. And um, he, he was a social worker. His background was in... Um, in specializing in communicating uh, with with others, and he um, he really orchestrated our our last few weeks with him in a way that um, I don't think any one of us, uh, his children and grandchildren and, and uh, wider family, could have done. He was he was so um, so aware 
of of how he wanted that to uh, progress and how the impact that that would have on not just him as he was leaving uh, leaving this this earthly plane, but also the impact and, and the lasting effects that that could have on us. And I just I feel so very fortunate that we could have a scenario like that. It was uh, it, it taught me so many things and uh, motivated me to to uh, to go forward in this arena of end of life uh, communication. Well, you're right that uh, as time has passed since his death. I realize we are never finished, Daddy and I. Our love is never ending, and our memories are always available to give new life, joy, and hope to to present living. So he is, like, with you every day. He is. I, I do things to actively create that feeling uh, in my life. And then even when I'm not consciously choosing those things, there are many things that happen, um, maybe not on a daily basis, but little things that remind me of him and and uh, bring back those memories that, that you're talking about there. And and uh, sometimes I feel that we're even creating new episodes um, in our own ways of, of living forward um, into into our, you know, the, this, the people who are left living forward into our lives and our life stories and how connected he is to that. Now tell us a little bit about... Uh, storytelling and how important that turns out to be for folks who are uh, approaching that end of life that uh, you have written about uh, and how you have created an opportunity to support them in that effort. Uh, well, thank you for that opportunity. I I, I feel um, that my own uh, experience telling my story helped me so much that, that I was able to um, to reach out with that. I, I wasn't really clear about what I was going to do as I, as I was writing it. I actually wrote it for very selfish purposes. I was writing a journal and helping myself in that process to process my grief and integrate uh, the reality of, of his passing. Um, but in the end, um, I, was, I was encouraged by others and also remembered that he had actually said to me in his last days, um, are you going to tell our story, Julie? Are you going to go forward with with this? And I promised him that yes, I was. <laughs> I I didn't know at that time that I'm that that meant I would be turning it into a little book, but that's exactly what um, ended up happening. Now, when and, he said, "Are you going to tell our story?" What do you think he meant by by that? What was your story? Um, I believe that he meant. Um, well, at least one thing occurs to me right away, but now you're motivating me to think of many others also. But um, the important one that I, that I took out of that um, immediate message when he was on his deathbed was that the, the process that we were going through right then and there and, and the, the way of being present with each other and, and opening up to each other, um, whatever it was that was on our heart or our mind or... Uh, and many times just humorous things that came up and, and uh, motivated us to be remember to laugh together because laughter was such a, a great part of, of his life. My, my dad, nobody could be silly like my father. He was, hmm. he, he was the champion of, of joy and silliness, and, um, and he, he really uh, he wanted to experience that as well as the, the sadness. 
And uh, I, I respect him for that as well. He was in touch with a full range of emotions, and even though some of them were hard to access, and and um, you know when we do that, we 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 pay an emotional price for for being in touch with those. But we also the rewards are just um, you know uh, unbelievable because by doing that, not only do we help ourselves. Uh, to, to face the reality of whatever we're going through, but we also open ourselves up to whoever's with us and whoever we can share that with. And what happened for me out of sharing his story, our story, is that many, many people from around the world um, reached back to me and shared their own stories. And I began to notice that every day when I opened my mailbox or my my email, um, and sometimes other ways that this would show up, people sent me their their favorite quotes or just a, a sentence that they wanted to share about the impact that the book had on them, uh, and in a very personal way. Um, they They related it to their own experience with their own family members, and so this, just by me sharing... Uh, on a, on a, people have called it a raw level, um, what I went through, others were able to access that in themselves that had, they had not perhaps done before. And it, it became important to them. And many, many of them shared, uh, lots of people had written books, and they shared their books with me. Um, they shared the, the untold stories. Uh, many of them had had things that they had kept close to their chest for, you know, many years, and, and they, they opened up. So I began to feel like I was the keeper of the stories around this end-of-life experience. All right, and now stay with me just a minute. For those who've just joined us and wondered uh, who we are and what we're talking about, she's Julie Sager at Nirenberg. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. We're talking about uh, Daddy, This Is It being with my dying dad and other stories that Julie has put together as part of her work uh, to deal with the end-of-life issues. You're listening to us on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. This is Caregiver SOS On Air. Uh, And Julie, can you share a little bit with us of what some of those nuggets that people sent you were were like? Um, Certainly. There uh, there are so many and varied, sometimes unusual stories that, um, that it's, very hard to categorize them uh, or summarize them, but some of them, for instance, uh, one of the, the women um, who, who communicated with me, um, and she was someone that I already knew, uh, but I didn't know this, I didn't know all this about her. In fact, some of this has unfolded since the time my, my book was published. But she lost several of her family members, in, and several of them in very tragic ways. And for two of them, um, the, the, the real uh, course of events that led to their deaths has never been resolved, has never been figured out. And so she, although she expressed to me that she just carries this great weight of responsibility to her family and, and to the now-deceased persons, you know, her siblings, uh, around discovering the, the reality of those situations, it also was quite freeing for her to find someone who wanted to listen to that story and who, who uh, in, in her case, what I did is I transcribed 
the story for her, and uh, and so she she didn't have to struggle with writing it. Uh, we recorded it, and and she was able to um, to talk about that in a way that she is not normally um, free to talk. And unfortunately, in our culture, in our Western culture, I, I and I think it's it's a, a misfortune. We're generally not very receptive to being with, and I use those those words very consciously, and that's why I chose them for the title, being with the idea of dying, the, the person who is at the end of life, or even later really being with the people who are needing so much to be able to share uh, their memories, and uh, sometimes they have feelings of guilt or shame or uh, remorse. We're not generally, as a culture, in my opinion, open to being with those stories, being with those people, and really giving them the uh, the ability, the the space to uh, to share, to talk about that, and it talking about something. And I I believe writing is um, is just another form of talking. It's communicating. Um, it allows us to to look at and listen to ourselves in a new way. We, we, we're speaking or we're writing, and we're also looking at, reading, or listening to whatever it is that we're putting out there for others to, to hear. Or maybe we're just writing it for ourselves, as I was when I wrote this grief journal. I, I did not have the intention, as, as I was writing it, to publish that. The, the intention kind of grew out of the final Final work. We're going to talk more about your work and, and what folks are sharing with you and how people can perhaps tap into you for help. We're talking with Julie Sager Nuremberg, curator of stories at Create Writer Enterprises. I'm Ron Aaron. Along with Carol Zerniel, you hear us at 930 AM. The answer, Caregiver SOS on Air. Podcasts of all of our shows are available as well. We are rocking along here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Julie Sager-Nurnberg. She's with us on our Caregiver SOS On Air hotline, and we're talking with her about stories about being with her dying dad and more. Well, And, you know, as I was listening to you, Julie, I was remembering a quote I read once where it said that Americans are probably the only people on Earth who think they're going to get out of this world alive. In that, you know, because we are in so we have uh, we have hidden death and whereas death used to be, you know, something normal that happened and people died at home and and funerals were at home um, in this modern age where so many people die in the hospital. uh, We've become become so uncomfortable with death. Um, And I think it it, it is a huge loss. It's a it's a lost opportunity uh, for family members to to plan and to discuss, but also what you're talking about being with, you know, and that's living and having moments together, you know, for as long as possible. Yes. Yes. And I do agree. There are a lot of folks who think somehow (laughs) they're going to make it out of here alive and um who knows maybe they are alive in some dimension that we're not aware of right now um i won't discount that possibility (laughs) but i do um i think that it's it's an unfortunate um omission for us to not really uh, be able to embrace that the end of life is it's still a part of life and it's 
it's a very important part of life, or at least I believe so. Sometimes people cannot be, um, the, the dying person cannot be as conscious as my, as my father was. I think we were, uh, we were very, very fortunate that he was. Uh, so many circumstances aren't like that. But I also embrace the, the idea that if we live our lives as though death is not just a possibility, it's a strong possibility, and it could happen any time. And, uh, and if, we, if we approach life that way, it can, it can actually give greater life to the days that we're living, uh, because we, I believe we can treasure those moments that we have with each other well, in, you, a, in a new way. You talked about um, that your work really connected you with other professionals. So it's not just families that are hearing your story, but it's other professionals who are working uh, in this field. What, you know, what are, what are they saying? I mean, it, it seems like they would be thankful that somebody is, is raising this issue. They are the ones that, uh, of course, are are taking the opportunity to connect with me and and express those feelings. Are are very thankful, uh, first of all, to find someone who's who's willing to be um, active in their field. If those people are working in the supportive roles of people who are dying or their bereaved um, family and friends, and it's it's uh, what. Well, what my I have a, a next book that's growing out of all these various different uh, stories that have been shared with me, and this next book that's almost published is um, is a compilation of many many uh, short and long quotes and chapters uh, that that the professionals who with whom we've connected um, have have sent have contributed to the book and as well as many many lay people, so it's. We we hope that this next text will um, will really be kind of a an anthology that can help uh, people learn all about the different the, the broad spectrum of those experiences around death and and around supporting death. Um, it's interesting. Almost every person who contributed to the book, from a professional standpoint, uh, whether that was a nurse, a doctor. Um, a, um, um, I'm sorry, I'm having trouble thinking of all the different roles, many, many different roles that were created out of those people's experiences with their own dying loved ones. And yes. that, that experience, sort of like my own, and my own is in the realm that I, I was already working as a writer and editor and and uh, I was an educator for many years and, and helped um, students write, learn to write and, uh, and publish. And so I've, I, my motivation in this particular field grew out of my experience with it, talk, living it. Talk a little bit about, uh, you had the luxury, if, if one can call it that, of uh, being with your dad over a period of time. Uh, at the end of life. And uh, I think because it's so much in the news now, these uh, incredible, awful, obscene terrorist attacks where people are just snuffed out, uh, often in the prime of life, those families don't have that luxury. No, they sure don't, Ron. And there were many stories in in that, many stories that the people uh, who who offered them shared with with me and my my co-author for this next book that, that were not and in any way, like my story with my father, many of them had to do with um, 
completed suicide or, um, you know, very tragic um, illnesses of different sorts. Um, and it's, it's sometimes um, babies are, are born, um, you know, still, stillborn. Right. Or there are other circumstances with, with little children that, um, you know, I, I can't myself. I have two uh, young adult daughters. I cannot my, imagine in any way I try to project into that, into that, uh, you know, paradigm of thinking. And I, I cannot put myself into that kind of role um, that, uh, that a, a parent would feel for their young child having, having died tragically. And, and I do believe that one of the great points of value of being able to communicate about all the stories, um, no matter how, how awful they might seem, whether it's someone who is killed by a terrorist or, uh, or in an in a, um, unfortunate auto, automobile accident or whatever the circumstances might be, those people need to be able to talk about it just as much as I needed to talk about it. The person that we love is gone. She's Julie yeah. Sager Nuremberg. Yeah. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel and Caregiver SOS on air at 9.30 a.m. The answer. It's interesting. In, in my life, both my parents are deceased. My mother uh, became frail, and, and over a period of time, uh, she used to say, you know, the parts just aren't working, and, and she died. Uh, my dad, uh, who had dementia, uh, I got a phone call one day. I was driving in my car uh, here in San Antonio, and my mother, who was always very direct, I answer the phone, and, and here's what I hear. Ronnie, your dad's dead. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Just like that, boom. He had a uh, uh, situation where he just dropped dead in their bedroom. He'd been, uh, you know, suffering from dementia for many, many years. But it was uh, the difference between boom, shock, immediate, uh, versus dying over time. And, and I don't know whether one's easier to deal with or the other. They're, they're both very complicated. There, there is no easy uh, path. I don't, I don't uh, you know, as much as I'm present in this um, little field, if you want to call it that. Well, you carved but, out a niche for yourself. I love it. Well, thank you. Thank You're you. welcome. Everybody it, it needs seems, a niche. <laughs> it's interesting, Ron, but it seems to have carved itself, and I'm just kind of walking into it. You know, it's, it seems like that from day to day, um, including this opportunity, by the way. Thank you for that. Oh, we're happy to it, have you on. It's, um, it's yeah, it's, I, I, People sometimes have, out of concern for me, um, when I had a recent health issue, um, which thankfully resolved very well, uh, at the time I had that, one of my uh, dear friends, out of concern for me, spoke to me about my, um, as she called it, um, dwelling in the abyss of, of death. She was, she was referring to my, my being in this kind of conversation now. And she was concerned that, that that I may have, out of that experience, created some kind of health negativity that then impacted me in this way. It was, um, I, I, at first I was kind of shocked about, about that, and then I felt a great deal of, of gratitude and, and compassion. This was her, she cared for me enough to right. speak up, and it was probably hard for her to communicate that to me because she knew how, how much this had be, become a part of my life. But what she didn't probably, I hadn't probably communicated to her nearly enough, is that it's been a great purposeful 
uh, motivating type of work for me. It's not, um, I stare into the abyss and it stares back at me with, with, uh, you know, many eyes and much appreciation. <laughs> that's, that's my answer there. You yeah. know, it's, it's the not, upside. You know, it's not, it's an infinite abyss. I don't know, abyss is not the word. It's an infinite well of love. That's what I feel around this. And that's what's being expressed in all these stories. There are lots of details, and, you know, um, some of the stories that were shared and will be shared in this next book had to be published anonymously because there's so much bad stuff, if you want to call it that, you know, negative things that could have potentially caused an issue for one person or another, and we sure don't want that to happen. Well, you know, you, as I'm listening to you again, I, I, I feel like that, you know, this is one of those zeitgeist moments because it, in healthcare, we are, we're a foundation affiliated with a healthcare provider. There are so many conversations going on. Uh, palliative care, which is not hospice, is on the increase where we're talking to patients about how they want to spend their energy and their lives, in, you know, recognizing that they have terminal conditions. They're not dying imminently, but they've got conditions. They're not going to be cured and they're mm-hmm. in old age. Uh, and so, and, and then we've got hospice, but this, but the idea of a good death and talking about death really has is starting to enter the public arena, enter the healthcare arena in a positive fashion. And mm-hmm. so, you know, my question to you would be, what is your hope? You've got this anthology coming out of all these stories. Um, the timing is is excellent for this. What's your hope for uh, this book and and what it will help do? Well, um, thank you for asking that question. We're, we're very hopeful that uh, the many, many um, different, first of all, the people who spoke to me and said, you know, they would look forward to uh, having a book like this, and they may have been participating and contributing to it. Um, but people who train other people, they're, they're uh, nurse educators and Um, those professors in medical school, all the people in palliative and hospice care, and um, and really even even uh, the the clerical training. What we've heard from several people is that in and and their training may have been many years ago. It may have occurred many years ago. But what we heard was that it was really lacking when it came to how to be. And how to how to be there, how to be with the family, how to be with the person uh, who is going through this experience, and 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 really how to help themselves because that's part of it. We all have to, as caregivers uh, or support workers, uh, in whatever uh, in whatever role we may have, taking care of ourselves is of utmost importance as well. And. Um, and I had an episode of, of being faced with that in the very last week of my father's life. I came down with a horrible, horrible upper respiratory infection, and I was just so afraid that if I got around him with that, I would shorten his life, and I knew it, it wasn't going to be much longer for him, and yet I didn't want to miss a minute that I could be with him. And, uh, but anyway, that's one kind of care of ourselves. There are all, all kinds of care. Well, we got to stop you there. We have less than a minute. But you folks want to get a hold of you, do you have a website, and how do they find you? Absolutely. Um, they're, they're welcome to get hold of me through my website. It's called uh, Create 
right. It's it's a smash word. C R A. Excuse me. C R E A T E W R I T E. It's all one word. And then enterprises.com. It's a big long website name. Um, and I that's my professional writing cool. and editing website. And there there's contact information there if they're interested. Great. Um, and, and there'll I be information on how to get a hold yeah. of your book. And I got to stop you right now because we are flat out of time. Julie Sager Nuremberg, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me here. You take Ron care. Carol. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you. I'm Bye-bye. Ron Aaron with Carol Zerniel on 930 AM, The Answer. You're listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, Take 10, with Dr. Jamie Heisman up next. It's hard to believe, but this all began in the year 2010. Has it really been that long that we've Dr. been together? Dr. Robin Eikhoff, Ron Aaron, WellMed Radio. What a terrific ride it's been. And since then, and continuing, we have talked about everything. We've talked about medical issues, we've talked about legal issues, end-of-life issues, and the list goes on. You name a disease, and we've covered it, but with answers for people who have it, aimed primarily at seniors and their loved ones. Seniors and caregivers and grandchildren and on and on. So why do you like doing radio? Well, I love spending time with you, Ron. Oh, thank you. That's one of my favorite parts. Well, I appreciate it. But I like educating, and I like educating patients and family members. There's so many things that we can do with this outreach. So listen to WellMed Radio and get healthy. Ron Aaron, Dr. Robin Eikoff. We come to you Sunday afternoons at 5 p.m. on 930 AM, The Answer. Well, thank you so much for sticking with us right here on Caregiver SOS On Air. At the end of each of our programs, we bring you Take 10 with Dr. Jamie Heisman, nationally known psychotherapist, expert in addictions and caregiving, and a whole lot more. Carol Zerniel is with us, of course, our co-host. I'm Ron Aaron. And Carol, you're going to tee up a really interesting topic. Well, thank you. So recently, it seems like I'm running into situations where um, denial uh, is a factor, and, you know, there are different types of denial. Uh, So the first one is when family members um, are having a hard time realizing that there's a problem. So, Jamie, my question to you is, you know, when we have, um, you know, and this happened within my own family with my mother and Alzheimer's, uh, you know, and, and my family members were not ready to see the problems that were going on. And so what what is it? Why do we not want to see? what? Why do we deny that there's a problem that is so very obvious to us? You know, I don't think it's that we don't want to see it, Carol. I think that denial is a, a defense mechanism that kicks in, whether we want it to or not. And it's somewhat based upon how we feel, you know, as uh, how do I say this? If we feel confident in ourselves, if we if we feel confident in the situation, and if we feel confident in the solution, most likely denial will not kick in. But denial is a tool as a defense mechanism, and it protects us. Um, but if we stay in denial, it does become a problem, just like you're saying. And sometimes it has dire consequences, for sure. Well, so when you've got some folks who are on the reality end of the spectrum, I see it, I call it, you know, mom's got Alzheimer's. Um, And then you have the other family members who are, what are you talking about? We're not going to pay for that. We're not going to go to the doctor. We're not going to do anything. You know, how how do we resolve these two realities going on when one sees a big problem and the other ones are not seeing anything 
Well, you know, my candid answer is always going to be the one that uh, I studied for for the past 30 years. I think you need a third party. I think you need to be in uh, therapy. I think you're get a geriatric care manager and put the families together because basically, you know, there's dangers of of denial for family members. I believe that. Uh, It can be hard for the family members to accept, you know, their parents' condition. And it's not going to happen with two warring parties or one group that accepts and one group that doesn't accept. And that's so much the reason why we need a third party. They can literally get a 20,000-foot look down into the situation, understand the dynamics, the geography, uh, the condition of the of the loved one, and also the defense mechanisms and how they kick in for the family members. Well, so what would be the, I would say, the mechanisms? Okay, so we had a party in denial, and again, I'll, I'll speak from experience. So the other folks are, no, nothing's happening. We call in the doctor. The doctor says, oh, yeah. There's Alzheimer's. And then the people who were in denial now have a diagnosis, and all of a sudden it's your fault. This is your fault. We, you know, Why didn't you tell us? <laughs> no. Well, well, I mean, and now they're angry. So it, it, there's anger that now we've, we've knocked them out of the denial. This third party's come in and, and said, okay, we don't need to be denied. The denial, we're finished with that. And now we have this diagnosis, and now there's all this anger. And the person that wasn't in denial at first is the one kind of left holding the bag like it's their fault. Well, you know, you just said we're finished with all that, but let me explain. You're never finished with the third party. Uh, I mean, I always say do not, you know, perform surgery unless you can suture it. So the third party will stay with the family as these feelings of anger and resentment pops up and and denial becomes that much more, you know, a factor here. And so, we, we, you know, you book appointments. And whether that means that you have a loved one who's long distance or you're actually local, um, you can do it in person or you can do it on a conference call. Um, but for sure they're going to be angry because most of the time they're not angry at you, Carol, or angry at the person who really knew what was going on. They're angry at themselves because they were not willing to accept it at the time. And they missed probably a lot of lost opportunities in the process. And uh, I'm sure this is pretty typical out there in the real world. Oh, yes. This is actually, you know, it's not a Carol family issue at all. <laughs> oh, you mean I'm not the only one. <laughs> and but what no, if no, the... And it also... But, Jamie, what if the other party says, I'm not going into therapy. I don't need to talk to anybody else. It's your problem. You're the one who's hallucinating about all this. Leave us out of it. Yes, and there's the the first problem there. We don't need to call it therapy. We call it education. We call it education. (laughs) We call it that we're going to go. We don't use the therapy word. You have to disguise it like we're not going to the nursing home. We're going out for ice cream. Therapy is a (laughs) four-letter word, Ron, to this culture. And so what we do is we learn new communication skills. We literally go to a teacher, if you will, that understands, let's say, dementia or, or, um, and Alzheimer's, but understands family caregiving, too. And you would make it as, you know, least stigmatizing as you possibly can. So um, certainly you would set up uh, a number of, uh, you know, Carol is, is, is a nationally known gerontologist. So it shouldn't surprise her family that she may be able to facilitate education for the family. I don't think you have to be a nationally known gerontologist, though, to be able to get the family to buy into a little bit more education about the loved one and the disease process. He's a nationally known psychotherapist. I'm Ron Aaron, sort of a radio guy, along with Carol Zerniel on Caregiver SOS On Air's Take 10 on 930 AM, The Answer. So, Dr. Jamie, I'm serious when the other party is not only in denial but doesn't want to participate in talking about it, they just hang out there and 
uh, disengage. Yes. And then that does happen. That does, does happen, I'm it, sure. It happens, it happens so often, Ron, and, and you do not need to put good energy down a bad hole. I mean, it's, you will see that person or understand that person. You may know that person because they're your family member, and you know the dynamics for a lifetime that they've actually presented. But at the end of the day, you do not want to keep batting your head against the wall. You take as many people as you can from your family or family of choice, if it's a small family and you're an only child, and you put them you know, in this educational uh, setting, and, and you talk to them about things like losing the chance to really create some special memories before their loved one kind of doesn't remember, or, you know, doing things like legal papers and five wishes, and is everybody concerned about what mom or dad or brother and sister are going to do when they pass, and, and, and avoid family conflict. Tell them this is the way to do that, especially when you feel that anger coming up. Well, and I would say if, you know, for some reason they never get on board your train, um, you need to go where you need to go anyway so that, you know, you can recognize that they, they're having, you know, they've chosen to be in this place um, and you're going to deal with it a little bit differently. And you get the therapist and you get the education and, and Jamie, just what you said, take the family members, take the friends, get that support um, and do what you need to do even if the rest of the family, you know, you may be giving you a hard time or some headwinds, but, you know, um, taking care of, you, of loved ones um, and planning for uh, a long disease process or death, you know, all of those things, you know, you're going to feel good about that in the rearview mirror one of these days, and you don't want to give in to the people who are, you know, putting up the roadblocks. You are, Carol, and in Caregiver SOS is a, is a perfect place for people to go who have denial or if a loved one can get them there because they'll see friends and, and loved ones. I mean, they'll see friends and loved ones of others in, in support group settings, and I think there's nothing better for denial than to actually have somebody reflect back to you what they're actually seeing. And if enough people do that and enough people who've gone through this experiential sort of journey actually comments, it's a way of breaking through the denial and it's also a way to deal with the anger that, as you mentioned, may result from the uh, the awakening. Well, and I probably have seen too many um, DC uh, comic book movies or Marvel comic book movies, but you're talking. I'm thinking about that third party you're recommending. You know, they're like Captain America's shield blocking everything or Wonder Woman's cuffs, you know, deflecting all the bad <laughs> stuff coming. You know, you know that that's the, you know, they're, they're the people that are running interference for you and, and blocking all that denial and helping. Um, you advance your cause. So did you go see? A, they one, are. Did you go see Wonder Woman? They are, and you have to in- interview them obviously before your family gets to them because they're out there. Right. Oh, well, they are. Yes. Yes. They yes. Are. Yes. 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 We'll come back to Wonder Woman lately, be, later because we're flat out of time <laughs> right now. And Dr. Jamie, in finding that third party, best way to do it is word of mouth from other friends or. Yes, I would actually turn this over to Carol. I, I would say going to psychology today and putting your zip code in and looking for strong geriatric care management or caregiving experienced people. But if you go right to Carol to give Caregiver SOS's number out, um, that would be a great way to go. Well, CaregiverSOS.org. Cool. There, there we go. Okay, there we go. I'll stop right there. Because <laughs> we're out of time. Got to stop you right there. Dr. Jamie Heisman, thank you. Carol Zernial, I'm Ron Aaron. Thanks for listening. To Caregiver SOS on air at 9.30 a.m. The answer, we come to you at 6 p.m. Sundays, and podcasts are available as well. I'll learn to talk soon. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS on air. 
presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program to radio at wellmed.net. And join your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zerniel, for another edition of Caregiver SOS On Air on 930 AM, The Answer. 